0: Hello, this is Rabbi Rob Doberson, and welcome to this edition of Wrestling and Dreaming. And I want to begin this episode of the podcast with a great story from the Talmud. It's a brief story, a brief exchange between two rabbis, and it's fascinating. It has to do with a verse from this week's Torah portion, Parshat Vayera, In describing the plague of frogs, the second of the ten plagues, the Torah says, v'tza'al which literally means a frog came up. And then the rest of the verse says a frog came up and filled the entire land of Egypt. question is, why is the word tzvardeya in the singular? Why doesn't it say the frogs came up? Well, that immediately screams out as our rabbis would have said, dirshuni, make a midrash out of me, explain to me why the word is in the singular. And the debate between Rabbi Elazar Ben Azariah and Rabbi Akiva found in the Talmud regarding this is fascinating. Rabbi Akiva, the greatest sage perhaps in the referred to in the Talmud, Rabbi Akiva says that one frog came up and bred into all of the millions or thousands whatever of, of frogs that Overran the entire nation of Egypt. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah says something interesting. Then to Rabbi Akiva, he says Akiva, Malacha etzel Agada. What are you doing, teaching Agada, teaching narrative midrash, trying to explain sections from the Torah? Go and teach about negaim and ohalot, which are two very, very precise areas of Jewish law. What are you doing teaching Midrash relating to the narratives in the Torah, teaching Midrash agada? Go and study these other sections. And then Rabbi Eleazar Benazaria offers his own interpretation of this singular word, Sphardea. He says that one frog came up and croaked really loudly, and the rest of the frogs in Egypt came up to join him and overran the, the nation of Egypt. Well, it's not really worth, I don't think, discussing which of these interpretations is more valid. I think that it's worth, though, thinking about what Rabbi Eleazar ben azariah said to Rabbi Akiva. What are you doing teaching Agada? Go study law was he saying that with a matter of respect? Was he saying, you know, this area of interpretation of narratives in the Torah is interesting, it's creative, it can be fun, but really a mind like yours, a serious mind like yours ought to be engaged really in the teaching of Jewish law rather than dabbling in this kind of narrative? Or, was he being dismissive of him, saying, you can't do this. You don't have the creative kind of mind. Or, the, or to, to come up with the really important and plausible interpretations of stories that can really teach people something. So go and study these dry areas of halacha of Jewish law. We really don't know what she meant. I'd like to think it was the former. I'd like to think he had so much respect for Rabbi Akiva. They said, your your mind is needed elsewhere. But whichever it was, it's a fascinating story. And the truth is that both of the kinds of midrash that we talk about are both important. Now, I said both kinds of midrash because some people really are not aware of the fact that there really are two different types of midrash that we use uh, when we talk about interpreting the Torah, the one we usually consider, and I would say that probably the vast majority of the time I've used the word Midrash in the course of this podcast and even in sermons I gave from the Bema, I was referring to Midrash Agadah, the the interpretations that come based upon stories in the Torah. A story in the Torah is told, it has some kind of a hole in the story or some kind of an oddity in the language, like the singular word for frog or many other examples I could give, and the rabbis rush to give a midrashic interpretation, an interpretation which will make the story come alive, which will fill out the story, which will touch our hearts, which will resonate with us, which will teach us a lesson about human behavior or being a mensch, all of these possibilities. And very often, if you study the Midrash carefully, you'll see that perhaps the rabbi had the idea of something he wanted to teach and searched for a story in the Torah with enough of an opportunity, enough of a hole in the story to hang that Midrash on. So sometimes the rabbis are reading out of the text and sometimes they're reading into it, but one way or another... This is a fascinating endeavor in terms of understanding the narrative, the power of a narrative story and the interpretation and additions that Midrash can add. But there's another form of Midrash which is critical in terms of traditional Judaism, and that's called Midrash halacha, the interpretation of the legal sections of the Torah. And that could have been what Rabbi Eleazar Azaria was telling Rabbi Akiva, in fact, to focus on because they are critical. We think of Midrash usually, as I said, about Midrash Haggadah, the narrative sections. But this whole endeavor of Midrash Halakha is critical, because it really led to the development of so many of the laws that we observe today. Let me give you a few examples of them. Some easier to understand, some a bit more complicated. Here's one that's easy to understand. It says in, in the Shema, in the paragraph of the Yivei that you should say the words of the Shema, b'shoch becha v'kumecha, when you lie down and when you rise up. There is a debate in the Mishnah in which Shammai is, is quoted as saying that a person has to lie down to say the Shema in the evening and has to stand up to say the Shema in the morning because it says, when you lie down and when you rise up. Hillel says, you just say the Shema in whatever way you want to. Those words, lying down and rising up, refer to the time of day, in the evening and the morning. So the Midrash is the words, when you lie down and when you rise up, refer to evening and morning. They don't refer to the physical position that you have to be in when you say the Shema. That's a simple example. One a bit more complicated. When the Torah talks about marriage, it says, ki yikach ish isha, when a man takes a wife, takes a woman to be his wife. Well, that's a very simple statement, but the Torah is not a law code. The Torah doesn't explain how things are to be done in great detail. And the rabbis want us to know how you enact a wedding ceremony, how you enact marriage in Jewish tradition. And one of the ways that marriage was enacted, and is today, in fact, enacted in Jewish tradition, is defined through the process of Midrash. In the book of Genesis, in the book of Breshit, when Abraham purchases a burial place for Sarah, it says in the Torah that he took this, lakach, he took it. And the word took refers to the fact that he paid money for it. He he bought this burial plot. In fact, it's clear that in the Torah that he Abraham insists on paying money for it. And it says he took it. It's the same word as used for when a, Ki'ikachi shisho, when a man takes a wife, according to the book of Deuteronomy. So the rabbis made what was called the Gezei shava. They they equated the two words taking, saying that just as Abraham paid money in order to acquire the burial place, and and the word used as lakach, to take, so when it says ki yikach ishisha, when a man takes a wife, there has to be exchange of something of value from the groom to the bride, which in our tradition is a ring. The groom gives the bride a ring, and that's a ma- a, 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 an object of value, and that enacts, in fact, the marriage ceremony. Now, of course, in most Jewish weddings today, I think, uh, certainly in, in, the, in the majority of them, I believe, we do a double ring ceremony. Uh, where each of the partners gives a ring to the other partner. But strictly in terms of Jewish law, the idea was that marriage was enacted with the exchange of something of value, and that that was learned from, in fact, the story of Abraham and the similar words there. Another example, very quickly, when the Torah talks about the uh, requirements for some, requirements for somebody who has injured somebody else to pay for their healing. The words are rapo yurape, a double form of the word to heal. It, it really means he, the person must surely heal. Heal, they must heal that person. The word healing is there twice. From that, the rabbis learned that if you pay for somebody's healing, if you've injured them, and then a wound opens up again, you have to pay again. If the, if the opening of this wound was related to the initial uh, injury, you have to pay it again because the Torah says, rapo rape. The word rapo and rapay meaning healing is there twice. So that shows that once is not enough, any number of times you must heal that individual. Those are just three examples. Now it's true that it's not true that every law in Jewish tradition comes from Midrash Halacha. Some came from oral traditions that that developed outside of an interpretation of the text, but many of them came from the text itself. And I think that it's important going back to that story, of of Rabbi Elazar ben Arzaria and Rabbi Akiba, to note that what this teaches us is that. The Torah interpretation of the Torah in Jewish tradition is used for two different purposes. First of all, it's used to inform us of uh, certain qualities, certain important lessons, life lessons we must learn. By filling out a story in the Torah, they're making the stories come alive and we can relate to them better and learn lessons from them. And the other use of Midrash, the other use of textual interpretation, is the development of Jewish law. And both are important. Both the idea of using the Torah to teach us how in fact to follow the commandments and using the narratives in the Torah to become more relevant to our lives or at least to interest us and give us creative ways of understanding the text. Both are important and both are included in the general word Midrash.